Well, greetings from Cloverdale Baptist Church and from the West. It is good to be here. Uh, you probably know that playoff hockey has started. Were you aware of that? And I think the Growlers are going to do very well this year, so I'm excited to see how that goes. Come on, that's a try at humor. It's an effort. At least work with me. In Vancouver, we do have a hockey team. It's just not a very good hockey team. We hope in time it will be better. I'm originally from Calgary, so I'm a Flames fan, and it looks like they're going to win the cup. (laughs) And I apologize to all you Toronto Maple Leafs fans because exiting in the first round is depressing. (laughs) I love this church. And although when I say this church, this family This ministry, although this is my first time here, uh, delighted in the land, it's so beautiful, delighted in the privilege to be able to share what God has laid on my heart for you, but even more so, delighted that we can be partners in the gospel across a nation that so desperately needs Jesus, and that we can together lift up his name and the similarities because we love him unify our hearts and our passion for that mission, and cause us to long to be those who live for His glory, who display the gospel in how we live and how we speak and, and how we love one another and the holiness that our lives display, and then to be, in this way, partners. And so thank you for your partnership with Cloverdale Baptist. Thank you for the privilege of partnering with you. Uh, Steve is a blessing. Not, not only to you as a congregation, but to us as pastors across Canada and I think across the world, because of his passion for you, because of his passion for this province and this city, and it is a privilege to be friends with him, to share and visit back and forth, and I know when I'm struggling, he is one of the first calls that I make as someone who encourages me, blesses me, and points me to Jesus. So you're privileged to have him, and I am privileged to have him as a friend. You probably know this, but the last two years have not been easy for churches or pastors or people. And you might say, well, what's made those things very difficult? And I suppose you could say from a world perspective, a virus or vaccines or government overreach or struggles in the church where people can or can't attend depending on how churches have responded. We could give all sorts of displays of what's been difficult, family separated. I read recently in a poll that 40% of Canadians, and unfortunately this has invaded the church, 40% of Canadians have struggles with their own family because of differences they have on what's gone on. Now the heartbreak for me is not what's gone on, although I think there is obviously heartbreak with that. We've seen deaths in our congregation, we've seen division, we've seen uh, struggles over all sorts of things that I never thought would invade the church. But what has been most difficult for me is to see the lack of the centrality of the gospel of Jesus driving and defining us. Or I suppose it feels to me sometimes like we've lost sight of the fact that God is real and God is relevant. That the God we serve is bigger than any virus or vaccine, any government or any response. And we've lost sight of that. And in that unfortunate losing sight of it, I think we've lost the privilege and opportunity to display the glory of who God is and his gospel in darkness. Now, good news for you. So that's the bad news. Good news, I think there's a lot more coming. Now, it might not be COVID. I hope and pray COVID is over. But I know this, if we desire to live for Jesus, then we can expect persecution. It's a promise that he's given us. 
If we desire to live for Jesus and we live in a broken world, and you can expect if you truly are in the world but not of the world, to not be loved by that world. And so here's what I want to share with you today. If we're authentic in following Jesus, if we have this relationship that drives and defines us, if we've truly experienced the richness and reality of the gospel, it will change us and drive us to a mission to accomplish in the midst of the brokenness of the world, in fact, then we will consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds because in the darkness, the light shines. In the brokenness, character is developed. And in the power of the use of the Holy Spirit of his people, we can accomplish incredible things during these kind of times. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you do, if you'd open them with me to Romans chapter 12, We want to look at verses 1 to 2 of this precious chapter. It is one of the great calls of living in light of the gospel or being so gospel-centric, keeping it in view, we'll discover together, that it changes everything else about you. And in fact, if you were to ask me what is the greatest tragedy of the last two years, my answer would be that many churches, many people who claim to be Christians have lost view of the gospel. So my desire is to place it back before you. I know Pastor Steve does that consistently, but my desire is to show you again, display again, the response to, if we're those who are oriented around the gospel, the response to life that will display the beauty and commitment of what it means to live our lives on mission for our King. Romans 12 is obviously a chapter that follows chapters 1 to 11. See the profound things you're learning from me. And in fact, it's a transition chapter. So 1 to 11, there's been this display of incredible doctrine, the the glory of a God who has created all things, the lostness of humans who have not been thankful to him, who who have lost sight of his greatness and glory and are living for themselves. We've seen the display of sin and the depth of depravity and the consequences of that. The wages of sin is death. And then you overflow of that and into a, how do we live for him? In Romans chapter 8, one of the richest chapters in the entire Bible, this, this reality of who God is and the battle we fight together and the greatness of his love that we can experience and never be separated from. And the glories of Romans 9 to 11, if you ever want to see the sovereignty of God on display, it is one of the richest places in the entire Bible where we see his power, his transcendence, the glory of his wisdom. In chapter 12, what the Apostle Paul is doing, inspired by the Spirit, is now seeking to apply this to our lives, saying, in view of what I've just taught you, in light of what I've just said, in light of Romans 1 to 11, this then is how you should respond and live. And then he develops that in what remains of this incredible book. In fact, we see the start and really foundation of that in these two amazing verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... Sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
I want us to land in three places today, driving for one goal, which is an authentic Christianity that lives with the gospel in view in such a way that its power, remember Romans 1.16, this power transforms us, causes us to be committed, causes us to live in such a way that we know the will of God and we obey it, causes us to be in the world but not of the world. So often the ditches of the attack of the demonic realm or even the deception of the flesh or the world kind of getting in seeks to have us in the world and of the world or not in the world and not of the world. And God wants us to be in the world but not of the world. And here's how to do it. So I want to walk us through kind of three steps and just apply it by saying I long for each person that is here, for, for each of us to so experience the richness of Jesus and what he has done that we would live all of the time with the gospel in view as though God is real and that God is relevant. That the narrative that defines us would not be one in the world or on the internet, but one that comes from the word and is then displayed in our lives. The first stopping place I would like us to make is something I've just called gospel motivation. Gospel motivation, and it's so clearly here, I suppose, if you have a different translation, you can see it maybe even more clearly, the word therefore. But the whole idea is now, based on what we've taught, based on the gospel, based on the reality of the greatness and richness of relationship with the living God, this is how you should live. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. Now, some debate as to what this means. What is this word mercies? And mercy and grace are different biblically. You know that, I am sure. Mercy, you don't get what you deserve. Grace, you, you who don't deserve anything get God's riches, his love, his, his gospel. Here I think this word is used in a gospel-centric way. It's, it's used to say, here is a God who is holy and great and transcendent and above all, who reached into our lives, into history in such a way that we can know him and, and experience his love and live for his glory. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, See, what what Paul is after here is not just a knowledge of the greatness of the gospel, but an experience of it that will cause us to be motivated to be worshipers. We'll we'll get into that a little bit later. Worship meaning a whole lot more than what we do, Not, not less than what we do, but a whole lot more than what we do on a Sunday morning. So so here is really the foundational place that we should never leave. We keep the gospel in view all of the time. Our understanding and experience of what the gospel means, we keep that in view so that when we see, and it's going to be very radical, the radical demands that God places on us, it's because we're forgiven and free that we choose to obey. Not to be forgiven and free, but because we're forgiven and free. So what is this rich gospel that he is so outlined for us. Well, I suppose you could go back to the immediate context. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who's known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And God's people said... Amen. So what is this gospel? Well, it starts with the greatness of God. And I think one of the reasons why so few Christians in Canada, from coast to coast, 
understand and experience this radical devotion that this text will call us to is because we have diminished our view of God. We've lost sight of His glory. Romans won't let us do that. Romans literally defines life as an opportunity, Romans chapter 1 really to 3, as an opportunity to see how glorious and holy God is and then respond to Him and when we don't, what that means. See, when we define sin, which is important for us to do, sin is anything that falls short of the glory of God. A lot of people say, well, it's missing the mark. Well, yes, it's missing the mark, but why does that matter? And the reason is the God the Bible presents is holy, holy, holy. And if you lose sight of his holiness, if you don't have Romans 1 to 11 understood and in place, or really this is all over the entire Bible, that when we start talking about amazing grace or the glory of the gospel or the richness of salvation in light of a diminished God or what Carson would call a de-godded God, It's really not that big a deal. But when we see the holiness of God and the depravity of our own sin by what we choose to do, who we were made, and that that falls short of the glory of God, and then what we owe to him that we cannot pay on our own, the wages that we have earned, which is death, then all of a sudden this God reaching into history with Jesus becomes a reality that we are overwhelmed with and it changes us. See, what God should give us if God was fair, and if you've ever wanted God to be fair, repent of that. What he should have given us is his justice and wrath. But what he gave us is his son. And Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and then he died on the cross, taking upon himself. Oh, the death of Jesus is horrific from a physical point of view, but it is far more severe from a spiritual point of view. He takes upon himself the wrath of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, paying the penalty in full for sin. And then saying to us, it's by grace you are saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God. See, when we start to understand that and respond to that and experience it, it becomes, relationally, an all-defining reality. See, if we understand the greatness of God and the glory of the gospel, then everything else becomes secondary because now I've been reconciled, I've been forgiven, I have a, a task to play. Now my life matters. Now my pain has purpose. Now, every step that I take in relationship with him becomes something that has meaning. I'm significant. I'm secure. I can live in this relationship with him. Listen, if you're not motivated by the gospel, it's either because you've lost it from your view, which I hope this text will put it back on display, or because you've never experienced it. Please hear this so clearly because in a minute we're going to go to what I think is one of the hardest calls in the Bible to obey. It's a command and it's firm and it's extreme. It's going to demand that you change what you watch and how you live and it's going to demand all sorts of things from you. But if you think somehow by obeying the demand you will earn your keep, you will never stay there or if you stay there you'll become a Pharisee. It must start with the gospel. It must stay with the gospel. And the gospel must become what motivates us to take any of the next steps.
Therefore, in view of God's mercy, do, do you see? Do you know? Have you experienced this gospel? See, I think some scholars will come to this text and they'll say, well, it's in the heirs' tense, which means it's a once-for-all commitment. We're going to come to that in just a minute. I actually think it's displaying something else in there. I think it's an everyday desire. It's a preaching of the gospel to ourselves every day. We're saying, I need to see, I need to know, I need to experience so that my heart is so filled with this joy and forgiveness and freedom and hope and purpose that I can live my life for him. Gospel motivation is the place we need to start and the place that we need to stay because love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The demonic realm would love to distract you with religion, deceive you and destroy you into either hating yourself because you're so great a sinner or being arrogant because you're so much better than other people. The flesh would like you to focus on yourself and either feel sorry for yourself or good about yourself, but always constantly demanding your own rights. The world would love to distract you and get you entertained to death or following some other narrative. We need to be people that keep the gospel in view. Not just in terms of the content of the good news of what the gospel displays, but because it introduces us into a relationship that is all defining with Jesus. Gospel motivation. Secondly, gospel mandate. When the gospel is in view, then this is how you can respond. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, therefore, keeping these realities in mind, here then, authentic followers of Jesus, is how you should live. Present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Something very interesting in the New Testament that if you have the time later, take the time to study, but the New Testament uses different words for worship, and the word that is used here is a word that is rendered service. It literally means service. It's interesting because the word that means bow down is only used in the Gospels or in Revelation. Every other place the New Testament talks about worship, it's this word. It's this response of all of your life. Here's what he's saying. When you see the richness of the Gospel, the forgiveness of your sins by grace through faith, when you experience the love of Jesus that is so rich and so freeing, now here's what you are to do. You are to offer your bodies. Why the word bodies here? It would have been hard for some, especially in the Greek word, world to read this well the idea is to offer all that you are everything and in fact the language here sacrificial language you're you're to be a living sacrifice probably here hinting very strongly on you're you're to be the walking dead or really the ones who are truly alive in christ You're to say, I exist for him. I am a living sacrifice. The idea here now, totally consumed, a burnt sacrifice, just totally gone, and yet I'm alive. I'm choosing to use my life fully devoted to him all of the time. Now remember again, it's not this devotion that causes God to be delighted in you. It's his delight in you that you experience that causes you to be this devoted. So please don't hear this text saying, if you want to be an authentic Christian, you must 
This is how you earn it. Be a living sacrifice. But do hear this text saying, if you truly have experienced the love and richness of the mercy of God, then you will say, here I am, send me. Here's my life, it's yours. It just, it just now again, the, the English doesn't say this so clearly, but it's just logical, it just makes sense. If the gospel is so amazing, if the mercies of God are so rich, then it just makes logical sense. Greek word logikos is in here. It just makes logical sense. For me to give my life to him. If you've never done this, I would strongly suggest that not only do you preach the gospel to yourself every day, but you make this radical devotion commitment every day in the context of the richness of your forgiveness of sins, freedom to live and to choose and to obey him. Oh yes, once for all, make the choice. But this, I think, is more than that. One of the scholars I was studying as I was preparing for this says the problem with living sacrifices is they keep jumping off the altar. I know because I do. Right? And if maybe today you find yourself off the altar. Now's a chance not, not just to get back on and say yes, God, to everything and anything you say, but first to say, oh, God, forgive me for allowing the gospel to get out of my view. And when the gospel's back in, it just makes sense. And you jump back on and you say with open hands, I am a living sacrifice. What does that mean specifically? It means that you see your life, everything in it, including pain and pleasure, as an opportunity to point people to Jesus and to display how awesome he is. I suppose you could say with Paul later, you see your life as an opportunity to glorify him. Whatever you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. See, now it starts to make sense. I don't live for myself. By the way, Jesus was not gray on this. If anyone would come after me, Luke 9, 23, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So here's my pleading with you, partners in the gospel. Let's be those who so richly embrace the view of the mercies of God that it's only obvious to us that we are called to be those who open our hands and say, whatever you want, whatever you have for me in your sovereignty, in your wisdom, remember Romans 11, that I won't always understand. I'm in, I'm yours. Show me what you want me to do and I will do it. Now, some of you might obviously say, okay, Rob, I've done that before. But I don't know what he wants me to do. Who does he want me to marry? Where does he want me to work? Does he want me to go on missions? Does he want us to maybe get this building? What, 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 do we, what do we do? I want this. What's the next step? Well, I'm glad you asked because Paul answers. See, not only does he give us this mandate and this motive, he shows us how to morph. Or I've called this gospel morphed or changed or aligning with him and aligning with his will and then living life as though he is real and relevant because he is. How's this text stated? Do not be conformed to this world. It's negative. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Positive. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So here with open hands, I've said to God, I I have your gospel in view. It's amazing. I 
am forgiven and free because of Jesus and his perfect life and death on the cross. Here is me now saying, God, you have my life. And now here's God saying to us, okay, here's the next step. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop this, start this, and rest in this. Stop this. What does he want us to stop? Don't conform to the pattern of the world. Don't think like the world wants you to think. Don't follow a worldly narrative. Now, how do we do this? Well, we limit what that world is teaching us. See, we all have a worldview. We all have a way of thinking, a way, a way we function when something happens to us. So COVID hits. We have a pattern of thinking that's shaped by maybe major news networks, maybe Fox, maybe CNN. Maybe Do you guys get those here? Probably, eh? Yeah, we tend to watch more American news in BC than we do Canadian. Maybe it's shaped by the internet. Maybe it's shaped, I don't, friends, I've been massive in this. We all have a worldview and then that worldview engages our our bodies and then we respond in a certain way. And this is saying, make sure the way you see life is not in a worldly sense. The world wants you to think in a certain way. The world wants you to respond in a certain way. And God says, make a break with that. I want to get very specific. If you spend more time on Netflix than you do in the Bible, there's a very good chance that the training of Netflix or whatever, I, you pick what it is, will be more substantial in shaping your view than God's word. So this is saying, say no, turn your back upon this conformity to a pattern of thinking. This worldview that is, is yours, say no to that, reject it, discipline yourself because you have the gospel in view, because you have open hands as a living sacrifice. Now you're saying no to a pattern. And it is detailed and specific and you will need to make small choices or you will fail miserably in thinking like God wants you to think. It's choices that matter, little choices that matter today for tomorrow. You are becoming tomorrow what you choose to be today. Say, say no to conformity to the world and its way of thinking. Now, what do you say yes to? Well, it says the renewing of your minds. Most importantly, this means you are saying, I heard it from out there, love that. You're saying yes to God's word. You're saying yes to the spirit of God illuminating or opening the eyes of your heart to what his word teaches. You're you're becoming word saturated or Colossians 3. You're letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You're you're saying, oh God, I want to understand your word. We, We read or sang a song from Psalm 119. Why do you think that God made the central chapter, now I know chapters and verses weren't in the original, but why is the central portion of the Bible and by far the longest all about God's word? Because there's a pattern of thinking that we must have if we want to live victorious Christian lives. If we want to be those who live in view of the gospel and offer our bodies to him as living sacrifices, we're all in. Now it's just saying you need to start making choices where your mind is being washed by the word of God so that the brainwashing of the world is brought into submission to the power of the word. Oh, I think the reason that we have struggled so deeply in Canada, I'm going to speak... I. When Pastor Steve has told me about you, I've been rejoicing with him at the loyalty to God and the loyalty to the local church that you have experienced here. But across Canada, we have not saw that consistently. 
And I believe the reason, the tragedy is because not only have we lost sight of the gospel and the greatness and glory of God and the richness of what Jesus has done for us, not only have we lost that full devotion to Him where we've said, all that I am and all that I have is yours, we've become so worldly. Whatever narrative we've chosen, and there's these two massive narratives, right? Last little while, the narrative of the mainstream media, you should be afraid. The narrative of the internet, you should hate the government and fight the government. And, and all sorts of things in between. And I'm not saying there's no truth to what the world is teaching. I'm just saying that we need to go to God's truth first. You, you've heard, I've heard over and over again. All truth is God's truth. Have you ever heard that? It's true. But not all things that people claim are true are God's truth. Amen? So how do we know? And the answer is we become so inundated with the word of God that we we know it so well that it's literally a part of us. And then when we hear other things, we align those other things always with what the word of God teaches. And then what we'll discover, and this is the great gift. Remember I said there's a negative, a positive, and a, a gift, I suppose. I can't remember what I called it. But this gift is then we will know what God's will is. He's not up there going, I don't really want you to know. He's not up there going, oh, it won't it be fun to trick you with a little bit of pain? No, he wants you to know because you're his child. Read in the Gospels as you hear Jesus, the sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe, the Colossians 1 Jesus, interacting with his disciples and saying, you are my friends. I want you to know my will. And if you know him, then that friendship, obedience... For sure, John 15. But that friendship is ours. So, so here's the pathway, I suppose, to victorious Christian living, to missional success, to unity from sea to sea as those who know Jesus. Here's the path, and then I'll just conclude it with just one call for you. Make sure you keep the gospel in view. Don't lose sight. Jerry Bridges would say, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Not just the good news of the gospel, but the person of Christ. He is real. And it's relevant. He is with us. He's here. He cares about you and your situation. And he rules all things. All authority is his. Keep the richness of what you deserve... And what God has given, or I guess in our text, in view of the mercies of God, keep, keep that always in view. Don't lose sight of it. If you find yourself coasting in your life, stop everything. It's, it's not about making immediate choices to get better, which you need to make. You need to reject it. We're going to get into those choices in a minute, but just stop everything and go back and gaze at the glory of the gospel and be enriched relationally. Secondly, daily. So daily, keep the gospel in view. Moment by moment, keep the gospel in view. Figure out ways to do that. Secondly, and again, I'm just reviewing where we've been. Not only to keep the gospel in view, but now you say, okay, whatever you want, wherever you want, however you want, I'm all in, I'm all yours. That's the idea of a living sacrifice. I am fully devoted to Jesus. Oh, it's a growth process. Oh, you'll constantly be slipping off or doing dumb things. And so you go back with the gospel in view and in the richness of forgiveness, you jump back on and you say, whatever you want, wherever you want, I'm yours. And then start making little decisions to reject the way of the world to receive the word that is richly implanted in you 
and to do the will of God. I am convinced, I'm not a prophet, so I'll just say I'm convinced that COVID is almost over. I could be wrong. I am also convinced that worse things are coming. And the only way we will not only survive, but thrive, is if our understanding and the experience we have from Jesus in the gospel is so rich that we respond in light of his sovereignty and love together. Full devotion, full service, full passion for His will, aligning ourselves as completely as we can with His Word and then living on mission for Him. See, one of the things I love about Pastor Steve is he lives on mission. May we all find such a rich experience with the gospel that we open our arms, our lives, and offer our bodies and live together as partners in the will of God, for the glory of God, regardless of how dark the times get. For the darker the times, the lighter the brightness of authentic followers of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you for this church and the mission she represents and helps to support. God, would you please bless them Would you keep them? Would you make your face shine upon them? Would you be gracious to them? And in light of all you have done, would they offer themselves individually and then corporately to live on mission for you and to do so in such a way that they never lose sight of the glory of your gospel and the richness of your love and the role they have to play in shaping eternity. You're an amazing God. We love you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would take your word and make it sing in our hearts. In Jesus' name and for his sake.